Hello, everyone, and welcome to the House of Apis podcast. I am Katie. And I'm Mila. And today we want to discuss how this past year with COVID has been impacting us, our mental health, our physical well-being, our relationships, our work, or whatever else may have been impacted by what we've all been going through since last year. Yes, so looking back, it was around November, December 2019 that we started hearing from the news outlets reports about this new weird virus that was making uh, people sick in Wuhan, China. For us, it was very far away, but little did we know that a global pandemic would be declared, that the world would suffer many deaths, and that people that got sick had been dealing with the effects of the disease, and that societies would have to get used to living in and out of lockdown, curfews, and uncertainty for 18 months. The new normal is still not defined. But certainly, there seems to be hope at the end of the tunnel. With the vaccination program that started worldwide, even though we know that that is happening very slowly, especially in developing countries. Although there are many negative effects of this pandemic on our lives, we could have multiple podcasts about some of the macro socioeconomical implications of what has happened. But for this podcast, we want to talk about how the situation has impacted us personally, um, and more specifically impacted us as women on a more personal level, and how we've dealt with the relationships, all kind, whether that's trying to do virtual work or helping your children or just trying to keep in touch with your family, all in this time of social distancing. So to help us talk about this, we have invited two Fabulous ladies that have graciously agreed to talk to us about their experience and how these measures have affected them personally and around their family and their work environments. So we would like to introduce our good friends, Patty and Kirsty, uh, and we'll give them a moment to quickly introduce yourself to the audience in whatever way feels like it's right for you. Hi, everyone. I'm um, Patty, and I'm based in The Hague in the Netherlands. I am married, and I have one daughter who's six years old. Thank you. Kirsty? And I am Kirsty. I live in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, with my husband and two kids. And yeah, that's about me. Awesome. Great to have you. We're very happy to have you here and talk about also some experiences that both Katie and I cannot talk about that is actually dealing with children in these moments of the pandemic that we know that have been very difficult as well. So it had been a very long and difficult period for everyone around the world. We have seen plenty of news. It was very uncertain at the moment that everything started. And then depending on the country, obviously, uh, there were different type of situations around lockdown. So the first thing that I would like to ask uh, you is how um, have you been doing this past year? And uh, you can go back to the beginning of this situation and how that affected or influenced your day-to-day lives. I can start because when I think about the pandemic, it's now been so long, it's hard to say this is what the pandemic was like because there's been so many phases of it. But I look back and I think about my thoughts going in and you know, it was very much focused on at the time preparing work and our colleagues for what was happening. And it became very stressful and and hard to manage because of the uncertainty of a sustained event. In a business life, we look at disaster events, but this was a sustained one. It took a toll personally on me because I ended up working 
exorbitant hours for an extended period of time trying to make sure that we have proper plans in place. And it was just a one-way road to burnout for me. And balancing kids streaking naked behind you while on video calls were <laughs> added to the humor and the stress, but it just felt just too many balls in the air. And for me, it ultimately led to me leaving my career of 14 years. Both you and I made career pivots during all of this. I'd started mine a little bit before, but then just leaned into it. So it, it, it is interesting to talk about like maybe what this last year has pushed us to think about relative to the work we do, how we do it and what shape, form kind of piece from there. So thank you so much, Kirsty. Patty, what about you? For me, for work, I had already transitioned into working from home as a freelancer and working for a virtual organization. So that part didn't shift for me. I was used to that. And what was hard is, at least in the Netherlands, they tried to keep schools open as a priority. So it was Schools were, were shut for periods of time. So the first time I think last year was something like for about six weeks in May, June. And that's where, and then again, it was like a week in the fall and then for two months over kind of winter. And that was probably the harder adjustment is actually trying to balance everything where if you don't have a big house and your own space and everything's closed and you don't have a fallback of someone who can come and help you with childcare, how do you deal with that? Unfortunately, working for an international organization, I had flexibility in my hours. So basically my days were filled with, okay, how do I get my daughter adjusted with whatever she had to do for school or keep her entertained, get her energy out, and then fill in the rest of my time with work. So basically what suffered was I had no free time for myself, I was trying mm. to balance everything else. And so I understand, Christy, Kirsty, you're like one way road to burnout because basically you're not taking time out for yourself because you're trying to take care of everything else first. It's like Groundhog Day because you don't get the diversity of being social with people and having those normal kind of daily interactions. So it, yeah, yeah. burnout, but it was also, it lacked diversity. Like it just felt like all I'm doing is working kids going to bed and then rinse and repeat. <laughs> I like what the, what you said, Kirsty, at the beginning that they have been different faces and I agree with you. And I think that for me at the beginning, it was the phase of what is it going to happen? And especially in the business that I was managing in Latin America. And then while Europe, in a way, the e-commerce was increasing, and then there were a lot of sales via online retailers. Then in Latin America that I was responsible for is not as developed. So then sales were tanking. So then everything that you heard was people are going to lose their jobs. There is the uncertainty about how is business going to continue. When I had to do a forecast of the following year, I was thinking, oh my God, my business is going to not only half, it's actually going to be 70% less than what I expected it to be. So then that starts being a, another factor, right? So it's not only the health factor, but it's also the livelihood factor. Like, where are you? What are you going to do? Are you going to be able to sustain the job that you have and then have the income to cover all your responsibilities? So that was a, a concern. And I actually ended up, which is, yeah, it, it happens by, by coincidence, not by design, but I ended up changing jobs twice in the past year. And I'm very happy where I am right now. And that's, that's what happened. You know, it's interesting. It, it's one of those things, there's some things that I, I delayed in my own life that actually, I think COVID 
ended up forcing me to do, which were actually good. But I think the face thing is actually quite interesting because the, my husband and I, we lived in China for several years. I had lived in Hong Kong a while before that, right after SARS is when I, I moved to Hong Kong. So there were everything I was seeing in the news if we could see what was about to happen, not on the scale that it happened. Like, I don't think there's any way we, I mean, I know there's people that predicted what happened, but we know the travel that happens during that time period across Asia. So that people being on flights and moving around the geography, we knew that spring break was about to start across the Americas, right? We could see the perfect storm of about how humans moved around that were like, this isn't going to be good. And so we very early, actually, you know, my father was laughing at me. You're not laughing now, but he was laughing at me because we were like, you need to go get two weeks of supplies. You need to plan like this is a hurricane, except instead of going and getting water and toilet paper, you need to be going and getting your cold medicine and some food and stuff like that. So we had actually prepared as far as knowing that we were going to have to probably hunker down, had no idea how long it would be, which ended up being good because my husband very early, we thought he had COVID and we actually, and that was when you had to isolate for 20 something days and we couldn't get a test unless you were hospitalized. And so I, and fortunately, Patty, to your comment about having space, we have an upstairs, downstairs. I moved downstairs. He stayed upstairs. We watched television together on our iPads every night because we couldn't get him a test and we didn't know. And we just weren't sure what to do. And after 20 something days, we got to move back in with each other. But I think after that, from a work perspective, I had already started my own independent consulting firm. The contract I was on was starting to wind down. I had always planned on taking a year off and it just never happened. Things just kept happening and I never got that year off. Well, guess what? I got the year. A year off to focus on the stuff that Neil and I are doing. And I've had work, like I have contracts that have scattered through it. But I think what I realized was I don't want to work 40, 50, 60 hours at one place. I need to diversify what I'm working on. And I had the opportunity to do that with COVID. I'm grateful for that. I'm an introvert. I trained my whole life for this. So I'm actually perfectly fine with being home. But the Groundhog's Day thing, Percy, that you mentioned, is I think to me, I'm so bored with myself. <laughs> I am so ridiculously bored with myself. And I love my husband, but I'm bored with him too. That right now that <laughs> things are starting to open up, I'm just like, let's let's get out of this house because I'm I don't even actually need to go see people. I just need to see different scenery. So I found I kept on saying, because we didn't know when the end was gonna be. Yeah. Hunkering into this groundhog routine and it's all work out and get back in the routine when the gym's open or I'll start eating better when I'm not panic buying groceries and toilet paper. And then it was just like, you know what, that time isn't coming. Yeah. And it yeah. went on and on, which I think added to the lack of diversity in the day. But it also, yeah, just for me, dragged on for so long. I, there were, I was watching people lose weight and get in shape and I wasn't on that. <laughs> I wasn't on that path. <laughs> So it's almost a feeling of you just kind of got to hunker down and this is it. This is the normal. So don't, you know, put off stuff, connect with people and, and just live your life and don't wait for it to be over. Otherwise, you're uh, living in the Groundhog Day cycle. Yeah. yeah. What's well, interesting, I see it's almost like 
there's those people who basically lost their jobs. And then yeah. those who are like have families are like, oh my God, I can't even keep up. And so you, I was seeing all these things. I mean, like more mindfulness and you know more exercise. I'm thinking, who has time for that? I'm just trying to survive. And of course there are other people who are like, what are they going to do? Yeah. How are they going to survive? So trying to just being more reminding yourself of the different situations. Because when you are hunkered down, you're just thinking, you're just facing your own situation and you're not interacting so much with how other people's lives, how they're dealing with it. But there's such a diversity out there. So I, I want to go back to the point that Katie and Patty, you made, how you've been touched personally. Have you uh, met anybody that had been sick or have you had to quarantine? Obviously, this is something that everybody had their own reality. But then there are some people that see the reality of the, the big uh, chaos from a distance. And there are some people that see it uh, much more closer. So I'm just wondering whether uh, any of you had anything that put you into that confrontation with the reality i didn't but i felt and i i would call it the house of cards i had my elderly parents move here from vancouver to be with us and they're dealing with a move both have heart conditions so we just absolutely couldn't see them and we did have a couple of scares they ended up being okay and then we also have an extension of our family a child care giver who works very closely with us to keep our work system and family system going. And she started her own business where she had kids in her home and our kids were in her home. And it was just very precarious because it felt like we had a lot of exposure points and there were the odd little scare that came up, especially with the kids. And if that happened, and I, I do feel very strongly about this, that the people that make the systems work were the least protected from an employment perspective. And that remains so. So we were very cautious to make sure that she could stay afloat, that her business and her kids could be looked after because one kid gets sick, she's shut down for several weeks. And again, yeah. there's not a lot of support for these people. So anyway, not touch wood, nobody's sick, but a few scares and certainly some anxiety around it. We've also been similarly lucky. I think it's been colleagues, but it's a virtual organization. So they're in a different country or I've had more parents of my daughter's classmates. So when a parent in the school gets sick, then they basically quarantine the class, not the whole school. They first said the whole school, then they said when the teacher has gotten sick or a parent's gotten sick, then they quarantine the class or whoever's been in touch with the class. But we've been closer to home, relatively lucky. And we thought about, oh, should schools open up again? I thought there's the mental kind of development of children, they need to be out, they need to socialize. And then there's the risk of what if they come home sick. At the end of the day, mental development, if, if they'll drive us crazy at home and they'll also suffer from being stuck at home. They need to be out and socializing with, with their friends in school. So it's day to day, like trying to just think through basically weighing off the risk. Do I go to the store? Do I order online? How careful am I? Just And basically doing, and we had discussions at home of different levels of risk by different people, even in your own family. How many times do you wash your hand? What things are you wiping down? What food products are you wiping down when you bring it in? Or how careful are you? And they start to loosen up over time, but definitely in the beginning, it really lays bare like tolerances to risk. And in the beginning, I'm like, I've got a risk background. So I think of what's my inherent risk? What are my controls? And am, am I comfortable with the residual risk? But what I found was really challenging too in the beginning, it was like my friends who I thought we were all similar, polarizing in terms of their beliefs of how bad is it? Is this really a concern? Yeah. And so when you mm. look at kids and engagement, it was like, 
but I'm taking this seriously. I know yeah. you aren't, but respect the fact that I am. And it, and it leveled out, I think, as the phases went on. But I think at the beginning, it was people had different views of the risk. I'm laughing as you're both talking because poor Mark, like the only place in our house that we both would be in during those 20 something days was the kitchen. It was the only shared space. And I would come in with a mask, rubber gloves, a can of <laughs> of of spray and my towel and I wouldn't touch anything until I wiped it down because I'm just like I have I get really bad allergies and I can get asthmatic so I was like I cannot get a respiratory virus and so poor thing and it, it goes back to the faces I think for us it was here in the Netherlands there was a, a press conference from the government every Wednesday the prime minister would stand up in front of the cameras with the health minister and then they would talk about what is happening what you should do they started calling it the intelligent lockdown so everything was closed except uh, supermarkets but everything else was closed and then at the beginning I remember going to the supermarket with a cart and then wiping everything before putting it in the car. Actually, I live in Amsterdam, so I don't have a car, but then the city was so busy and people were not wearing masks, which was not mandatory. And then the city felt for me and, um, and for my friend, it felt very dangerous, very risky. So then we actually went to, to a smaller city and that's where we spent the first part of the, the pandemic. We, we were in, in his mother's house, a nice area with a garden, and there was a lot more space. And then it was a perfect place for us to be. And we were there like for three months at the beginning of the pandemic. So it was just a different thing. But the faces had changed. I still have the wipes, but it's not as crazy as it was at the beginning. Uh, I was in a store yesterday that's trying to offload all their antibacterial containers that they were like, you want a bottle? They're only 10 cents. What a difference a year makes. That was gold a year ago. And now they're trying to get rid of it for 10 cents. The thing, I, Kirsty, you had mentioned moving parents closer. Within the United States, I couldn't live farther away from my parents if I tried. We're in the exact opposite diagonal corners. And during COVID, both of my parents had a couple health scares. And, and Mila knows this. I'm like, it's going to take me five days to drive there, but I think I got to get in my car and drive. And, and one of them being immunocompromised. Do I get on a plane to get to them? I'm afraid to get on a plane because I'm afraid, like I showed up in the garage. My mom had a bathrobe for me to peel off and go straight into the shower. Cause it was like, what do we do? How do I keep them safe? I, and, and I know we'll get to this in the conversation, but the mental health Right. There are individuals, right? We all have varying degrees of how we manage and deal with our own personal mental health. But I think one, the worrying about the people we can't get to fast anymore. And then secondarily, Amelia, you were talking about the news, right? Here, the news, it was nonstop 24 hour death count. And I personally, like Patty and Kirstie, I am very fortunate, haven't had anybody, immediate family, immediate friends that were either hospitalized or passed from COVID. But just watching that death count all day long, I just, it was draining. So yeah, uh, yeah, it was it was appalling, and it still is happening, unfortunately. But I think that is now time to switch gears and go to our compelling question. For those of you that have been listening to our podcast, we have a standing segment that is the compelling question, a question that 
might be directly related to the podcast that we have at hand or not, but th in this case it is. So today's compelling question is, what have you learned about yourself these past years? Uh, like I personally, it was such a year of growth, probably tied in with the decisions I made at work. And I worked with a, a coach as well for a portion of the year. And I think what I've taken away is I'm confidently now my own best advisor. I live fairly externally. What should I do? Should I make this move? And I look back and I was paralyzed. I've had two jobs that have spanned, like I've been in the same industry for 30 years and only worked for two companies. Like just stuck. And I just did some spiritual work, did some work with a coach and realized that if I just connect thoughtfully with myself and in a confident way, get rid of the noise and the fear and the anxiety, what should I be doing and what would make me happy? And it's worked. It's just so simple. But I really untethered from all the noise in my head and the shoulds and the just the things that would normally keep me paralyzed. And it built upon itself. Like I confidently left my last job. I confidently started my own business. And I haven't needed anyone external to validate that what I'm doing is right. It's all been on me. Which so it's powerful. I'm my own coach now, and it feels pretty freeing. That's awesome. That okay. sounds awesome, and it's it's good to to be able to listen to yourself, even though everything that was happening around you, and then you've got that strength. That is that is great. I yeah. had this visual while you were talking of like a compass that just kept moving and spinning, and then all of a sudden just tuned in and pointed directly north. As far as like a visual of what you were describing about your own personal journey, well, it feeds on itself. It's one right move. It's hey, you know what? I was right there, and it worked. And then that's what you just get more confident with each step. And it's weird at my age and stage of life to just have that now, but I, I'm just happy it's happened. And I think that it's. Yeah, it's just probably the best takeaway from COVID. I'm not sure. I often wonder if COVID hadn't happened, would I still be in that same kind of paralyzed cycle? Uh, and mm. I probably would be. So in a weird way, it did help push me to a point of, of letting it all go and refocusing. Hmm. Patty, yeah. what about you? I think it's really reinforced or pushed me. First, basically, I'm a planner by nature. And having a child makes you throw that out the window. You're like, you can't plan what a child does <laughs> do you just have to almost react and adjust and being in this under COVID it's like the same thing it's okay you guys gotta take everything day by day just let the uncertainty sit with you and not have too many expectations I think that's where it's just being okay with that being okay with just watching things unfold and happen and I guess still just trying to control what's you can't control around you in your own environment. And that's pretty, that's powerful in itself, right? I think about just even from some of the, the coaching I've done from a work perspective, the amount of energy that we as humans spend on trying to control things we have no ability to control versus learning how to be able to respond and navigate and be agile and control the things we can control that are within our, our sphere, but then just learn those navigation skills to be able to bounce and respond and, and be resilient in that way is pretty huge, especially just for personal energy and to throw things away. I can't worry about that because it's out of my hands. I'll worry about what I do when I see what happens kind of thing. Yeah. I know that you're saying about worry. I think that my learning is that fear is no longer controlling me in a way. Somehow, I, when all of this started, 
I was on this job that I enjoy certain aspects of it, but I was not very fulfilled. And obviously we had been working on House of Happies and, but I wanted to have some more in my day-to-day -day activities, but in a way I was afraid of venturing out and, and try to do something else. And I did, and I thought it was uh, the right move for me. And, and, and there was a, a, a clash in values, let's say, between me and the company in a way, and, and it didn't work out. And then that ended. And instead of being afraid, like is my natural <laughs> go-to, let's say, I was just, okay, let's see what happens. And then I did some work on my own and with also with a coach. And then I was just thinking about, okay, what is next? Because I was not fully satisfied anyway. So then it's, it's a, in a way, here's to what you were saying before, but then for me, it was more associated with, with fear. So letting the fear go. And then I just venture out and then I just said, okay, I'm available. What could happen? And then that is where I found another opportunity to be where I am right now. And I'm very happy but it's more like a mindset of letting go of the fear and not having the fear control you. And then that you can, uh, uh, in a way, uh, be in charge, yeah. which is not controlling, but be in charge of what is going to happen. So it's a yeah. different set of emotions. It's not fear-based, it's opportunity-based. Exactly. So exactly. Yeah. It's interesting what you're talking about. Cause I always think as I'm reflecting on the question personally, it's, and, and by the way, when I share what this is, I recognize that I am in a socioeconomic position that allows me to have the privilege to have this self-discovery that I'm going to share, but I've always known from a work perspective, I am not a sustainer. I'm not an operator. I'm the person you call to bring in and take things apart, put them back together and then once they're up and running again, let somebody else do that. I get too bored and I get fidgety. So I think what I realized about myself is I, I really have to have a bunch of things going. And I am, I don't know if a couple of years ago, if I would have described myself as a creative person, I don't think of myself in those terms, but man, this year. I got myself a sewing machine and a cricket machine <laughs> and I was making all sorts of stuff. I was sewing things for our camper. I was making holiday decorations. I was changing. Um, I, Kirstie, I did focus on my eating. I didn't lose any weight, but I focused on my eating. <laughs> I was learning how to cook all that while trying to build my consulting business and working on house of Apis with Mila in a way in both sides that are creative and letting go, this kind of goes to the in charge and control, letting go of having to have the big salary. I worked so hard to get a big salary with a big bonus. And I just kind of let that go. And I'm finding I can live on a lot less. And right now it's about making the money that allows me to live a way that I would like to live that still is allowing me to prepare for retirement, but I'm being driven by the work and fulfillment and not necessarily just by the salary. I recognize I am fortunate that those salaries beforehand have allowed me to have a buffer that lets me do that. But that's what I discovered. <laughs> Katie, I, I work in finance and I've been raised to be thinking, I've, I followed in some footsteps in my family. You get the pension, you get the good paycheck, and that contributed to 
the kind of being paralyzed. It's like, why would I leave this? I'm just so fortunate. Yeah. I yeah. am fortunate that I could take time off uh, at this point in my life, but it's held me back. And then finally it didn't. And I think it's what you like how you view abundance in your life. And I think if you let go of the fear and you, you lead yourself and just stay open to what's possible, I think it's your abundance comes in the way that you need it. I do fully believe if you focus on the worrying all the time, you make it happen. When you just let go, it's amazing what you can get done. I think you just yeah. gave the quote of the podcast about focusing on abundance in your life. <laughs> it's different for everybody, right? And yeah. As you get to a certain point in life. And the thing is, let's face it, money, like we can't spend money anyway. Like we have to sustain ourselves, but there's things that have become more important. Yeah, I think that's yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think that what you were talking about is what was paralyzing me was that fear. And because I wanted to have everything set up, that, that uh, security. And then the uncertainty was uh, very sc scary for me. So the, yeah. the confidence of being in charge and just have that idea in mind, what you mentioned as abundance, I think is very valuable. Well, that okay. is our compelling question of the episode. Like Mila said, this is something we put out there for every episode. And we want to know what you listeners have learned about yourself during this very strange and trying and weird time that has been the COVID global pandemic. So please find this compelling question out on our social media outlets. And we would love to hear from all of you as to what have you learned about yourself through this last year or so that may have surprised you or may have reinforced something that you had always suspected about yourself. And then going from the personal to the societal, if you will, the question will be, do you think that as a society, we have learned anything from this? I'm pausing and thinking, I'm going to say yes and no. I so um, this is just going to be one example out of many. I have heard myself saying this over and over again the last couple months. At the beginning of the pandemic, we were cheering and praising our essential workers. And clearly nurses, doctors, those that were on the front line from a medical perspective. But the piece that I think is a lesson that we've not learned, and at least here in the U.S. has now become the battle around living wage is the essential workers, like those that work at the grocery store, those that were the delivery people bringing you food to your home, the individuals that were keeping the infrastructure going at risk of their own personal health and the health of their family members, or not even going home to their family in order to keep them safe. And all this cheering and praising. And now that things are getting back to normal, I was appalled at the grumbling about letting like, I'm like, why isn't that 20 year old that is working at the grocery store front in line to get their COVID vaccine if they want it? Or and now you're arguing about livable wage, right? Like those people kept you alive for the last year. So I, I don't, I think we had a momentary lesson. And then as things go back to normal, it's forgotten in some ways. So that's my, that's one. I could flip the narrative and tell you a positive one, but I'm going to throw that one out for my first point on your question, Mila. Yeah, yeah. I also have a yes and no. Yes, in the sense that I think that there's more empathy in the work sphere, like people working from home. People, mm -hmm. you no longer, you don't pretend that you don't have a family when you're working late. Like kids are running in and out, squeaking naked, whatever in the background <laughs> are doing stuff and bothering you. Doorbells are ringing because your packages are coming. And it's okay. People yeah. talk about like, how are you? 
How's your home life? Was anyone sick? People check in with you. Whereas before it was just more, it's pure business. Like this kind of get down to work. But then when I think about, I see, and this is more the politics side, it's not changing. It's discussions about how do we respond faster to the next pandemic? There is going to be more, but how do we prevent the next? No one's asking about prevention, which mm-hmm. is much harder to fix, but much longer term and more systemic in terms of how we, how do we prevent future zoonotic diseases, which is what COVID is, jumping from animals to humans. And what's the cause of that? It's because it's what we're doing to our environment. It's cutting down the rainforest. It's how we're raising our animals in kind of industrial factory conditions. These type of how we're treating the environment, treating workers, those aren't changing because, and it's funny because even though, if anything, this was one of the biggest crises that we've ever faced as a world, but Climate change and its impact that we're feeling now is 10 times worse, and it's still not forcing the type of changes that we need. So it's just, it, it's sobering so when you look at politics, which is very short term, yeah. versus the kind of the changes that need to happen require a lot of bravery. And I don't think we have enough bravery or leadership, at least by those in power, yeah. to make the changes. Yep. Yes. I won't go into the politics here, but yes. <laughs> go ahead, Kirsty. If I think back about this time, in addition to watching the news streaming around COVID impacts, it was also a very heavy political time and brought out the ugly and divisiveness, not just in one country, but in many. So when yeah. I think of people and humanity maybe became more empathetic as a result of this, I'm gravely concerned that our systems didn't learn from this. in parallel this divisiveness that was playing out is a real concern like these when you think about people like us people who are working who can work remotely suddenly their prospects for opportunity got better because I now have a job in a city across the country from me I now have more doors open to me these frontline workers and the ones that make things happen couldn't even where I live anyway couldn't even call in sick if they did and they weren't able to work six weeks later they'd get a $400 check maybe then, so I have, I worry that the divide between classes has grown and I worry about civil unrest because those of us as well that have a stock portfolio, they call this the roaring twenties, watch the markets rebound. Things are going great. So we're doing well, but I watch these frontline workers who aren't and aren't getting the support and coming out of this, I do think there'll be an economic benefit. Like we'll see a bit of a people spending, people traveling, which will have ancillary benefits. But I think the net effect will be a greater divide that we'll feel for years to come. And I, I don't have faith that our political systems will be as supportive as they need to be. So yeah, it's just my takeaway. These people are become more important and should be respected and regarded. The people who work in care facilities, like my goodness, hospitals, yeah. this is I just, I really hope our systems respond to their needs faster. Yeah, and yeah, and sorry um, to interrupt, but I think that you are talking about a division in our own societies, let's say in the Western society, but I think that the division goes even beyond and is between countries and between the states of the countries. We are lucky and blessed to be in countries that have a system, a health system that 
works better in some places, but, but it works. But when you see in other countries what is happening in India, what is happening in Latin America, I can give you the stories in Venezuela. It is completely different. And what people are trying to do in Africa as well, to have vaccinations, all these vaccines with the chain of, of how cold they have to be. And that is mm -hmm. something that cannot be respected. And in these countries that are developing, they don't have all the, the, the materials in the same way. We are dividing even more. So I think that the problems with immigration and with refugees and people trying to flee countries that are in a different situation gets even worse and worse. So yeah. I think that the divide is, is, is a global divide as well. Yeah. And right, like I, it's just context, right? Thinking about things from that perspective. I, I am curious though, are there things that you've seen change, like changes or responses to what was happening with COVID that you think, hey, I hope that stays. I hope they don't revert back. Tamila in the intro talks about the new normal. And I, I think necessity was the mother of invention and we had to get creative and scrappy about some things. And so Patty, you had talked about it's more okay to work remotely now and to have life happen around you while you're having those things while you're working remotely. Are there things, whether on a very local level or on a macro level, that were changes in response to COVID that you're like, I really hope we keep that. I really hope it doesn't go back to what it was before. I, I think of my friends and how we are with each other. And I hope that we just stay as real as we've been. It's almost, there's no keeping up appearances and egos involved. I find when I connect with my friends virtually now, it's just unvarnished. How are you doing? I hope we keep that kind of connection. It's very, it's changed over time, but it's very different now than it was before. We're all just very real with each other, very supportive and very empathetic. Yeah. Patty, what about you? I, I hope that, yeah, that's more flexible, more uh, informal relationship between work and home. I hope that stays as more better understanding. I think it's happening for some that's remote and then for others, it, it, I think probably will, will depend by industry. And I know it varies by country, for example, in the US, like having more support systems for parents, yeah. which hasn't really existed. I think hopefully that changes are coming through. Fingers crossed, because it's and pretending, for example, that the women who bear a lot of the work can somehow take on this responsibility. And it just all this has really made it much more explicit, like the amount of work that, that they've had to carry both at home and, and, and at work. Yeah, we're going to go there in just a minute. So you hold that thought, because I think that's a key point on there. Before we pivot, I'm just going to, Mila's heard me say this. I don't know if it's true for where you all live, but for the restaurants to stay alive during all of this, all across Seattle, so many of these restaurants have built outside infrastructure. So what was lovely is the city let them commandeer parking spaces along streets or different things. And they've built these structures and I actually think it's created a different sense of community because everybody's outside and it's casual and people are bundled up or not because today's hot. But I, I really hope a lot of that infrastructure stays in place because I think it creates a visual community versus everybody behind doors 
and it brings everybody outside. So it's one of the things I know it's a small thing, but I really actually hope that stays because I really loved how it, it made the community feel during this time. Even the buy local movement, I hope that stays. Yeah. At this point, I, I want to loop back to what Patty, a uh, topic that Patty got us started on. And for those of you that have been listening to the podcast, you know that one of the things that we bring every episode is a did you know moment. And it's time that we introduce something either you may or may not know, but that we want to highlight as a topic. And this week's Did You Know is about disproportionate impact that COVID has had on women. And many of you have probably read this. There's been a lot of articles in the last six months as the data and research is coming out because COVID impacted women on a level that perhaps did not impact men in the same way relative to schooling and education for their children that we're now having to do schooling at home. The uh, more meals that need to be cooked because people aren't leaving the home, like you're at home, more dishes, more things that have to happen. And I think Kirsty, you, actually, you've all mentioned it, they just never ended. It was nonstop and it's how you get burnout. And in episode three, we talked about the topic of time poverty and COVID has reinforced that disproportionate amount of time poverty that women experience, especially if households are intentionally or unintentionally upholding gender stereotypes about what needs to happen in the house. And for example, in the U.S., it impacted women in that employers cut 140,000 jobs in December. And so it was a sign that our economic recovery at the moment for coronavirus pandemic was backtracking and things are shifting. But digging deeper into the data, what it revealed was women accounted for most of those job losses, losing 156,000 jobs while men gained 16,000 during that time period. And meanwhile, a separate survey of households, which included self-employed workers, showed an even wider gender disparity, highlighting another painful reality. And in addition to that, Blacks and Latinas lost jobs in December while white women made significant gains. All the things we were talking about from a socioeconomic impact, but the gender divide, the racial divide is definitely in the data showing who is being most impacted from a jobs perspective. And the earlier podcast, Mila and I referenced uh, a Facebook group called Freelancing Females. And we had talked about they had such a surge in numbers because so many women either lost their job or needed to leave their job because of what they needed to do at home to support the family keeping on during this time of COVID that they started getting scrappy and doing their own craft and cottage industries or coming up with ways to freelance at home to bring in some money and or in some cases started booming companies because they were either needing to leave their jobs or they were losing their jobs at a higher number. So we are going to put the source of this research on our social media and let us know what you think about this. So to continue with our topic uh, for today, how it is to deal with becoming a teacher, let's say, or a formal teacher with a curriculum with your kids at home when you had to be in a lockdown or schools were closed. So how has your experience been? And how have you dealt with that? Um, well, and I just want to add on there. So not only just school, helping, I can't imagine trying to help, having my own children and trying to help them understand what the heck's going on okay. and what's <laughs> happening, what is COVID and why is it happening and why do you need to be in lockdown and why can't you see your friends? 
yeah. all that aspect as well too. It all ties in together. Yeah, I that is it's so important because I actually felt a benefit of having kids six and seven at home because they weren't old enough to understand what was going on. And they didn't have any big questions. Life felt like a bit of a party for them, an adjustment for us. But I saw my friends that had teenage kids who had so much anxiety already and not having graduations and not having that connection was really hard on them. So for me, having little kids at home and in school, again, it's been phases because the schooling went in phases. I'm very lucky. My husband's very engaged and has a job where he can be really engaged. So that was helpful. We did all right with it. I will say I had to talk to some colleagues at work to say people that are we're putting demands on are dealing with multiple priorities right now and just be mindful because not everybody thought first about what is this person dealing with? What are they juggling? And yeah, and it, it was a lot. I saw a lot of my friends having issues. And then the only other thing I would say, I've got friends with kids and family with kids who have learning, who are on the autism spectrum. Mm. One of the bonuses for them was how their kids thrived when they got to be one-on-one solo with a computer. And so there were some Mm -hmm. positives too that came out of it because they weren't in a classroom being overly stimulated. Yeah, I look back on it and think it was okay to manage, but again, I had a lot of support. My daughter is similarly six and they're much more matter of fact. She talked about the virus, she would say, and you can't kiss your friends. Maybe you can hug, but you have to wash your hands. Everything is just facts. This is what you have to do. And that's just the situation. So they just adapt. It's just more like, yes, no, you can't have play dates right now because of the, the virus. And, and so she's like, oh, she'd be upset. But then she has energy. So then you have to be the playmate. And that's what gets tired for the parent. But at least she learned how to ride a bicycle during the first lockdown. So that was the real bonus. We had time, backbreaking time every day for five, 10 minutes. Okay, come on, out on the bicycle. And she's at a young enough age where it's less not about exams, it's more about play. And so what you start to miss after six months of wait, she needs to be with other kids. So that's what you really want. It's not like what she's missing out in school. I'm like, who cares? It's more, they learn from each other. This is more, it's, yeah. it's the social development, the social aspect that is, it's really has that longer term effect on kids. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to that point, there's a lot of articles coming out right now about predicting what this year of the absence of what quote unquote normal social interaction would have been for children who school age children teenagers and and time will tell but any thoughts on that as a parent the, I mean and you're in your kids are all about the same age but thoughts on is there a developmental gap that is concerning or you're like no I feel like we just got scrappy and inventive it was done in a different way so it's just different I feel like we just got scrappy done in a different way, but I I worry about mental health with some of the older kids. If you live in a house with, like if I had an older kid, well, even my own kids, they think I'm too anxious about everything. The early (laughs) days of Lysoling and wiping down everybody, they saw us for a prolonged period being very anxious. When they're old enough to hear the the news and and internalize it. So I do worry about the, the mental health impacts on the older generations, like the 13 through you know, 18 type age. Yeah, I I would agree. And, and I think we're already in a period where everyone's on their phone, they're interacting digitally, and not enough 
socially, and this has just exacerbated that. And you can see what happens when you look at in Japan, where amongst teenagers there's high rates of suicide because they don't know how to interact actually anymore with. People outside their home, outside their family, and I mean, unfortunately, we're coming out of this. But even one year of this, where in many places, like like in the U.S., like schools just closed down for a year and a half, so yeah, you don't see your friends except online, and it's a different. You don't learn empathy by being online with your friends because you don't know how to read facial reaction. You don't know how to respond to body language anymore. Yeah, you're only、really、reading. Body language, like shoulder and above. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Or through emojis. When it's, it's just different to express yourself through emojis than actually seeing someone physically. This is—it's so interesting because this is one of the things. If I reflect back, my kids became more technologically savvy, and we all—I think we got the iPads during this period, and we had that parent. Anxiety about using them too often because there's sometimes when you're both in meetings, parents and kids need to be occupied. But one of the most unexpected things for us was they now FaceTime with their friends while playing on games where they're building and architecting cities,、yeah. and and they have different social scenarios play out. And I listened in early days, and I was thought it's like my daughter's running a conference call at work. I can't believe this little person. <laughs> and then I'm hearing names of people I don't know, and then I, you know, parent controls. Who are you talking to? Yeah. Well, they have friends that they have met through their friends that live in other countries. They get online and they build together and they interact together. So it's certainly different because you're not picking up on social cues that you would feel in person. But it's interesting to watch. And it helps on the mom guilt when I hear them with other people while they're on their iPads. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know we're talking about children, but there's something you said that I was like, I, I've watched my parents get more technologically savvy, not leaps and bounds, but I've watched that because, in order to stay connected, they've had to lean into technology that they were like, I don't have a use for this kind of thing. I don't want to be bothered with it, kind of thing. Now it's I. If if we're gonna try and do this, I need you to download Zoom. I need you. Here's the things that I need you to do. So I've actually watched my parents get more tech savvy. It it's scary、yeah. though, Katie. It just in the industry I work in, we are quote the number we're playing with is it's advanced digital proliferation by three years. So you now have non-traditional digital users online, and you just they Fraud and different things can happen to them because they're not used to it. So it's it comes with a bit of a, a caution too. But it's yeah, it certainly got more people doing things virtually. Yeah, my my parents got more technologically savvy as well, and I actually got a, the other day a notification on Instagram that my parents were live on Instagram, and I'm like, huh? Like I, like I thought it was a mistake, and then I realized that they were live because they have this church group. And they do the rosary every week, and then this was their turn to be、uh, live. So then they were guiding <laughs> the prayer, and then I was like,、hey, because I really thought, what are they doing Instagram live? I don't do Instagram live. Like my brother doesn't do Instagram live. So it was funny to see、um, yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah, but the but thing they- that Kirsty that you touched on, I think, is actually a really important. Point. So I turned fifty during the apocalypse. The anybody who lives in the U.S. is familiar with AA 
RP, which is the Association of Retired People. I'm not retired, but I get to tap into the resources. They have had just a boom on doing training and education about fraud and cybersecurity and that kind of stuff. On the other side, I'm on the board for a nonprofit that focuses on child sex trafficking and the boom in what is called sugaring and the online interactions with boys and girls, young, not even teenagers in some cases has had a crazy surge. So yes, all the people getting more tech savvy and investing, it's fraught with evil deed doers that, that find opportunity as well too. So yeah. So on that note, Mila, maybe we should lift people up a little bit and go to our favorite segment. It It doesn't all suck. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so we know that there are a lot of really amazing things still happening out there and amazing people. And while we likely wrestle with some heavy topics on this podcast, uh, like today, And within our community, we always like to pause to highlight the good that is happening all around us. Dating has been something very difficult to do while you are in the pandemic, because obviously getting to know new people, then it's a little bit difficult because you have to, you don't know, you have to social distance, and then it is more difficult when restaurants are closed or cafes, so where are you going to meet? And uh, there is this tale about falling in love on the Canada-US border. And there is it's a man, Lynn Harris was in Surrey, British Columbia, and Julie Arps was in Ferndale, Washington, and they met online while the border was closed. They started to app to get to know each other. They met in early April, the border was closed to non-essential travel. In a normal situation, they would close the border and then meet each other to start dating. But then after a few text exchanges and hours long of video calls, they decided that they needed to meet. So they were being patient for the border to open and they initially assumed the wait wouldn't be so long, but with the cases surging, they really didn't know. Then they found out that there was this park called Peace Arc Park where they could go. So they soon met at the park three times a week from 3.30 in the afternoon after Harris finished work and then they would be there until the park closed at nightfall. So this is a story of love in the times of COVID where people were doing their utmost to be able to be together. And they found a loophole and then they met at this park. It's such a beautiful story. And it's a lovely park. That's where I have to cross into Canada when I decide to go into British Columbia. And it's a beautiful, gorgeous park just off to the side. So I think it would be a lovely place to fall in love. Yeah, I think that this is going to be like a Lifetime movie or like a Hallmark (laughs) movie at some point. And yeah, because it's a beautiful story. There are so many things that are going on and they're so difficult. And then these two people find a way to not only meet each other in this time, but also to get to see each other in a park in the middle of two countries. And it was, yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah, so we are getting to the end of our podcast and we want to thank you, Patty and Kirsty, for joining us. We are very happy that you took time from your busy lives to be with us today. Any last thoughts uh, about the topic and about this past year? I just, I hope that this is a time we look back and 
reflect on this podcast and say we truly were nearing the end. We're still skeptical if we are at the end. It feels the time that we're in and doing this podcast that it's a bit of a bookend. And I just hope that continues. That actually is the case that we're near the end here. I hope it's a bookend, but like, you you know, Netherlands, Mila, you're here too. So I get my first shot in a couple of weeks. Yay. They say no one's safe until everyone's safe. So there are certain countries where vaccines, vaccination rates are moving really fast. And there are a lot of other countries where it's in the single digit percentage wise. And so I keep thinking, okay, next year I can go home. We can go and visit my family back in California. And I keep my fingers crossed. And I hope as the planner and me, okay, just next year is like some kind of light in a tunnel, but who knows in a sense, yeah. who knows? Because there could be other mutations. I'm sorry, I don't want to end on a downer, but I'm like, I hope that we can get our act together through. There's still six months left of this year. So it looks like numbers are, are doing well. And Yeah. Thank you so much to both of you. We so appreciate it. And it's been a really interesting topic. And I think depending on where you are and the context you're in, COVID has just created a whole whirlwind of emotions, experiences, challenges, opportunities. And we thought it was just a really important topic for us to talk about at House of Apis. For our listeners at home, we really thank you for tuning in. We'd love for you to visit our social media platforms at House of Apis and our website, www.houseofapis.com to let us know what you think about our topic today and for more information on other issues and opportunities that impact our community of women and girls. And obviously, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. Next time, we'll be talking about imposter syndrome and being a self-advocate. Last, but certainly not least, we have an ask for each one of the podcasts. And for today's podcast, our ask will be to think about family and friends. Is there anyone that you haven't connected to lately? To the point about mental health, there have been a lot of people that have been experiencing some loneliness, some anxiety. So our ask is, Just think about people that you love and care about. Is there anybody that you haven't connected to lately? And maybe it's time to reach out and say hello and ask how they are they doing. Maybe it's time to send a message and make sure that they feel connected in this hard time. So that's all for today. So as always, good morning from Seattle. And good evening from Amsterdam. Until next time. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you, ladies. Bye. Thank you.